And I think what very few people realize is that for every entrepreneur who's on pay-as-you-go data, it costs them an absolute minimum of 100 rand to join a Zoom call for an hour. So if you think of a young entrepreneur who's starting out and they're now trying to sell to businesses online, they've now got to use platforms or, or just buy, even if the platform is free, the, the amount of data it takes just to kind of be online and, and, and engage with customers is astronomical. Thank you, ladies, for joining us um, and welcome to our panel discussion on um, focusing on women in technology. I'm really excited, I think, from an Investec perspective to have um, three really accomplished women in this tech sector. Um, and um, I just wanted to maybe start with some quick introductions. Ladies, I think the best way is for you guys to introduce yourselves. Um, Aisha, can we start with you? Sure. Thanks, Davina, and uh, thank you for, for having me. Um, great panel. Uh, excited to be uh, chatting alongside Latabo and, and Alex. Um, so I'm the co-founder of a company called Sweep South. Uh, we're a platform, an app, and a website that connects uh, customers, homeowners, busy professionals who are looking for help with home services uh, to home service providers, the majority of whom are domestic workers. Uh, who are unemployed and underemployed and who are looking for work. So basically, uh, a platform app, uh, some people uh, compare us to Uber, um, but we have some key differences. Um, started about six and a half years ago outside of, um, out of Joburg, our home in Joburg, um, and have now grown to uh, having an HQ in Cape Town of about 60 employees and have worked with about 20,000 domestic workers across the country and about 200,000 customers. Um, and yeah, have, have just scaled the business both in South Africa and, uh, and then most recently into Nairobi, Kenya. Great. Thanks, Aisha. Alex, can we move to you? Thank you, Davina, and great to be on this panel uh, with Aisha and Natabo. My name is Alex Fraser, and I have a consulting business, uh, Fraser Consulting, and we work with uh, large corporates and finance institutions to run programs either supporting entrepreneurs or uh, angel investors. So looking at how do we build up this entrepreneurial ecosystem. We run programs um, across Africa. And most recently, we've actually started an online angel investment academy, which we're scaling and growing across across the continent as well. Great. Thanks, Alex. Great to have you. Latabo. Thanks, uh, Davina. Hi, Aisha. Hi, uh, hi, Alex. Again, great to be here. I'm Latabo, co-founder and CTO of Voice and uh, spelled V-O-Y-C, which actually stands for Voice of Your Customer. So it's an interesting play on words there. But what we do is we help uh, banks and financial uh, services, um, uh, such as insurance companies and banks as well, monitor their contact center conversations to pick up any uh, custom experience anomalies and also to improve uh, the quality assurance and agent performance. And we are uh, today a team of 10 started out of Cape Town, but uh, myself and co-founder have moved to Amsterdam, where uh, Voice is headquartered and uh, accessing the UK and Australian market from here. And yeah, Voice is two years old. 
Today, we are, we've just recently hit the 1.5 million minute um, point. Uh, we're monitoring um, the calls of 12 banks and insurers out of South Africa. That's including um, um, Momentum. We have APSA. We have um, um, Standard Bank. And um, or, so any travel call that's from uh, Standard Bank, if and be as well, um, we're monitoring those calls and we're quickly growing um, uh, in, in the South African industry and then reaching the UK as well. So ladies, just looking at your bio, it was quite um, fascinating to me that all of you have um, quite a lot of experience, both from starting academically, I think, in, in the tech sector, as well as going into um, into some, some sort of uh, corporate type exposure work, as well as now starting your own businesses. Um, so I'm fairly privileged to kind of be um, here talking to you guys, because I think the the role that each of you have played in, in the tech ecosystem in South Africa has kind of run the full gambit, which is quite exciting um, for me. So just to get started, I wanted to maybe just at a broad level, get your view in terms of what were you seeing as some of the key things that were happening within the tech ecosystem in South Africa prior to COVID? And then post COVID, um, what are some of the things that may have changed or, or what are you seeing right now? I think it would be very interesting to get um, get your your feedback from there. Um, Latabak, shall we start with you? Um, I know you said you recently moved um, to Amsterdam. When did all that, that happen and, and how are you seeing um, kind of the sector pre and post? So when Voice was founded two and a half years ago, um, we made it, we went to Berlin where we quickly identified that we need to, or we are building uh, an international business or sort of the market we were targeting was um, outside of Africa, or mostly outside of South Africa. So we anticipated um, being a global uh, business from the get-go. It just didn't occur to us how long it will take to make that transition. And that transition um, to come to the Netherlands, to come to Amsterdam, um, coincided with the start of COVID. So our plan was pre-COVID, we would, um, because we're doing enterprise SaaS, um, and that our sales cycle was typically between anywhere from six to 12 months that we would have to meet all our customers in person. So we were planning every six weeks to fly from the Netherlands back to Joburg and Cape Town um, to meet our customers in person for six weeks, six, every six weeks until we closed the sale. And then um, COVID happened, which meant even in South Africa, you could fly around and meet customers. And so we decided that despite it being like strange territories, we still have to make the um, international move anyway. And then it just so turns out that COVID worked in our favor two ways. One, we couldn't actually physically come back to South Africa and more customers were meeting online. And so we found that, yes, we can sell online. And then the second um, strange advantage was because even call center agents had gone to work remote, managers and executives had no idea what was happening in their contact center. So more than ever, they needed software to pick up and monitor what was going on um, in their call center. So that um, also then reduced the sales cycle because people could meet more often. And then the decision makers were all in one room in a conference call. And it was really urgent to buy our software. And we saw our sales cycle move down to three months in some cases, which um, so I would say that the post, the outcome or the digital change that forced or that COVID forced worked in our favor. 
So it's very interesting to hear that. And I think we've, um, in, in the course of business, and I, I think specifically from a banking perspective as well, we've seen how businesses that rely on tech or are very tech enabled, um, it's almost exponentially fast tracked that kind of tech enablement of industries and businesses over the last couple of months. Um, Aisha, this leads me to you. And I know um, your segment is is quite unique in that you have quite a, um, a strong workforce that is around human capital. Um, tell us about some of the, the, the impact, I think, over the last couple of months with, with you and what does it mean to be on a tech platform? Yeah, so I think you know some of the, the themes that we were really working towards um, prior to COVID are some of the things Letabo mentioned. So, um, you know, we we were just um, on the on the other side of a of a landing in an international our first international market. We're really looking forward to um, spending you know some time there to a bit of investment into growing that market. Um, you know, we were I think beneficiaries like a lot of companies at at our stage of. Um, significant funding rounds. You know, one of the themes that was sort of happening in the tech space pre-COVID was that you were having these, um, you know, five to 10-year-old South African tech startups who were sort of um, maturing alongside the VC um, investment landscape and having these sort of big funding rounds that were positioned towards growth. And I think a lot of startups like ourselves that are, um, you know, customer-focused and even B2B focused startups were, were sort of looking at how do you deploy that capital towards expansion outside of the country. Um, and COVID obviously put a put a stop to that, um, particularly the first sort of uh the first few months of lockdown, uh, where there was also lockdown in other countries. Um and our response to that was we had to focus a lot on local market and on sort of product development within local market. And then, as you say, Davina, we've got a big part of our business that runs uh, through finding work for domestic workers who, you know, are, are at a very different stage so socioeconomically. You know, they're not the, the sort of the beneficiaries of high tech traditionally. And so we had to think about with, you know, these thousands of women who were working in February, um, come March and April, what do we do and how do we make sure that these women are able to take care of their families, are able to be uh, protected from the severest impacts of lockdown? Um, and so the focus of our business shifted as well in that sense to, you know, not just how do we help to find people work or they can't work. So how do we try and support people who aren't able to work uh, for an indefinite period? Um, and then again, try and work on product development so that when we come out of uh, the strictest phases of lockdown, how do we help to get people back to work? Alex, I don't know if you want to jump in here, but I know your company focuses quite heavily on the entrepreneurial ecosystem in South Africa and the development um, around around strengthening that capability. What have you seen over the last couple of months? I think, you know, to Latapa's point, I've seen some businesses really thrive. Um, we've been in the fortunate position that our business has grown. And if you have access to technology and you are a digitally enabled business, it gave you the head start because you were used to collaborating and working online. Um, you understood what the power of different technology platforms that could, uh, that you could use in order to collaborate and, and really manage and projects efficiently. We've certainly seen that, um, it's also, we're doing a lot more work with international collaborators now, but at the same time, it, it really exacerbated 
um, the difficulty that many, many entrepreneurs and uh, business owners face if they are not running a digitally enabled business and they don't necessarily have the means or the cash flow to quickly adopt uh, pieces of technology. Because often, uh, especially for small businesses, technology can suddenly, uh, if you, the, you know, you have a few subscriptions, but it also means uh, takes into uh, or assumes the fact that you have a credit card uh, that you have you're able to pay for those subscriptions on a monthly basis. And for a small team, I mean, we spend you know our, our technology bill has increased rapidly, and and most of our subscriptions are in dollars. So you know, if you are able to, it kind of gives you a competitive advantage. But for many of our entrepreneurs that we work with, um, and they've suddenly had an absolute, uh, you know, we work with quite a early stage, idea stage entrepreneurs, many of them had no um, uh, safety net to fall back on. They couldn't, they couldn't access UIF, they couldn't access any grants. And um, I think the world also, the world of work and, and uh, you know, many people who are able to just jump online and have access to Wi-Fi and, and uh, fiber, they just assume that you'll just open up Zoom or, or WebEx and you'll start to have meetings online. And I think what very few people realize is that for every entrepreneur who's on pay-as-you-go data, it costs them an absolute minimum of 100 Rand to join a Zoom call for an hour. So if you think of a young entrepreneur who's starting out and they're not trying to sell to businesses online, they've now got to use platforms or, or just buy, even if the platform is free, the, the amount of data it takes just to kind of be online and, and, and engage with customers is astronomical. And when when your your family is starving, do you buy food or do you buy data? Which again, it's a you know it's a it's a terrible downward spiral. And so uh, you know we've actually we had to implement um, a, a no questions uh, um, policy also because. I think a lot of entrepreneurs were really struggling and who were previously fairly, you know, thought that they were making traction and suddenly everyone was in this terrible dilemma of just not even being able to afford the most basic um, things like access to information and data. And so we instituted a data bursary policy on all our programs and there was no questions asked if you, if you needed data, we would send you data. Um, and, uh, and that was a challenge in itself, trying to send, uh, you know, gigs and gigs of data to multiple cell phones across multiple networks. But it really, you know, we were committed to supporting entrepreneurs. And I think if you're serious about uh, diversity and inclusion, then that is something that we have to consider, is how do we also not make access to information and access to broadband a serious issue um, and a discriminatory factor for people participating in the so-called fourth industrial revolution or even just in the world, new world of business post-COVID. And, and I think that's something that's absolutely critical. Alex, you've touched on a very important point, and I know um, in speaking to Aisha and Latabo both prior to, the, um, to our panel discussion, inclusion and diversity is something that I think um, you all hold quite dear, um, both in your personal careers as well as I think your entrepreneurial um, uh, ventures. Um, what th there's there's almost a, a bit of a, a, a you know like a real concern in the world today. I think both locally and internationally around what are the economic ramifications um, of our current 
um, the, the current world we live in and what is that going to do to, I think, the, the technology ecosystems in many countries. Um, do you feel that there is a real concern, I think, specifically from an SA perspective around funding drying up, for instance, um, that would potentially be able to kind of contribute to strengthening the capability of the tech ecosystem in SA in particular. Natabo, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I think the the way I can contribute is not necessarily on the funding and and that per se, but uh, where we believe uh, as a tech startup, we're still uh, young and early if you compare it to, to, to other startups that are much older, is that we fundamentally, myself and my co-founder, Matthew, we had to understand or we had to decide what our values were. Uh, we set aside uh, various values, you know, playing to win, uh, delivering results, putting people over everything, pursuing knowledge, but still that wasn't enough. The one value that we had to inherit just by virtue of being South Africa was diversity. So we had to say that as a startup, while we're still growing, the only thing we can positively impact is what our team looks like. Like that's something we can always decide on. So the very early decision that we made about how we would impact the tech ecosystem was that we are going to hire a diversity we're going to be diverse and we're going to be inclusive. And the moment we made that decision, it made our rate of growth in terms of team and headcount much, much slower because we realized that we're looking for engineers, but where are the female engineers? In fact, we didn't actually put in any ads on LinkedIn or anything when we were hiring. We would be like um, going through, trolling through people's um, LinkedIn's and checking if they uh, wanted to join our team and so forth and deliberately actively going for, for women. What that meant is a, a position we could fill in a month or so took us around three to four months to fill. And that was a, uh, I would say for, for a startup that's trying to scale, that was a painful decision, but it really, really, um, it meant a lot to us. And now that we're here in uh, in the Netherlands, we joined an ecosystem called Yes Delft. And the reason for joining another accelerator was so that we can get introduced into the ecosystem and meet different corporates from an environment where startups and corporates collaborate. And the first thing that we received, we were inundated with like uh, applications and CVs, which is something that we weren't used to receiving in South Africa. But the level of qualification that the um, that of the applicants was like way way higher. But we realized that look, our our value to stick to diversity means we still believe we need to hire in South Africa, and we still believe we can make an impact there. So while we can't um, influence anything else, the one thing we can really stick to our guns on is what we look like and how we impact the the the, the ecosystem that way. My big vision is that one day you know, an engineer leaving our team will literally put a badge uh, on their LinkedIn profile to say, like, I worked at Voice, so I'm an ex-Voice employee, and that really means something. And as a startup, that's how I think I can impact, or we can make an impact in that way. Alex, do you have any um, any opinions on, on kind of the the inclusivity, diversity conversation and, and kind of where we are economically at the moment? I echo a lot of what Lataba is saying is that I think, you know, certainly as a South African and as a South African team, um, we are also very committed to trying to create jobs in South Africa, even though many of our, our projects are, are across um, 
multiple countries and uh, getting that team fit right and, and, and really, you know, finding great candidates that, that you want to bring on to your team does take a, a little bit longer. Um, certainly we found that, you know, as Latava says, you have to go and look for, for great people. Um, and, but I think it's also around this recognition that a lot of the work that we do is all about people and it's the people in our team that influence the programs. And I think we also know that diversity and inclusion, it's not about doing the right thing. It's about building a much stronger, better team because you learn so much from one another and you learn different perspectives and you can do better work and you can have much better impact. And we fundamentally believe that, that we will be better at our jobs and deliver better programs if we, if we value diversity and inclusion. Um, and so I think that's absolutely critical. And I think it's also really critical for the ecosystems that we play in. Um, we, you know, I know you spoke a little bit about the funding um, environment, and I, and I certainly think that many of the venture capital funds will have put a lot of money into the existing startup portfolio and might not necessarily be looking to make new investments. Although there have been quite a few deals during lockdown, especially for these rapidly growing tech-enabled businesses. But in our Angel Investment um, Academy, we have trained 47 new angels across five different countries during lockdown. And 46% of those angels were women. And uh, we had angels from across five different uh, African countries. So we had from South Africa, Namibia, Tanzania, Zambia, and Mauritius. And we've got a whole lot of angel investment groups, uh, which we're now working with, and they are actively looking for African tech-enabled and other startups to invest in. So that's also been incredibly positive that despite, um, you know, the upheaval that COVID has brought, people are really still believe that in the power of startups and are recognizing how some businesses are really doing well and thriving and are needing that support and that bit of capital to grow, which is encouraging. Aisha, I don't know if I can move to you. And I think just in terms of looking at um, all of your businesses, I think to, this is a question to all of the ladies and we'll start with Aisha, but in looking at all of your businesses across the board, what is the kind of the, the number one challenge that you've feel you facing at the moment. I think there's power that each of you have leveraged software or technology in some way, shape or form, either to create a platform or to create a business model that is underpinned by technology. That's allowed you to kind of probably reach the levels you have. Um, what role has the actual tech played in, in your business model and how do you see it kind of helping you to scale going forward? Um, so, I mean, tech, tech has played a, a huge role in our ability to scale. I mean, I, I think if you think about any other business and sort of, um, you know, being able to, to have thousands of people going out to work in a particular day and have a team of, um, you know, we've got a team of 60, but more than half of that team are people who have nothing to do with the day-to-day -day operations. You know, so you've got a team of 10, 15, maybe 20 people who are actually directly involved in the operations on that particular day. And you can only accomplish that with having, um, you know, tech be at the basis of, of what you do as a business. 
Um, we've also had a number of uh, similar businesses roll out in the last six years or so. And I think where they've really struggled is you get to a point where, um, you know, you, you, you need technology to be able to scale further. Um, sort of doing it manually just isn't isn't going to work anymore. You you know it's beyond feasible because you just don't have that many people, that many you know eyeballs, phones, spreadsheet rows to to continue operating. So so our business is heavily tech enabled. I think um, you know the vast majority of the of the women who go out every day and and use the platform to go and find work have very little interaction with Sweep South you know, headquarters and just use the platform to to do their work, to complete their work, to manage their bookings, to get paid. Um, so, um, yeah, you know, that's that's probably been the least challenge for us. I think where tech has become a challenge is when, we, when we've thought about skills and bringing on um, sort of adequately skilled um, and experienced engineers to, to help to continue to build the tech stack. Um, that's been difficult and particularly, um, you know, as Letabo said, trying to have a diverse team. Um, the better team that you have building a, a platform like ours that is representative, our customer is South African homeowners. So it needs to, you need to have representative perspectives. And so that's been quite challenging is getting people who have the right tech skill set, but also the right culture, uh, the right views about um, sustainability, social impact and upliftment. Um, as the rest of the team does and, and sort of that our company is is built on. I think our biggest challenge though at the moment um, and, and even sort of the months prior to COVID has, has been building a business that is focused on consumers in South Africa in the midst of um, the challenges of a slowly or, or negative growth economy um, and the strain that that's placed on, on consumers and, and having to then compete with really, really basic uh, living expenses um, as a business. I think I think that's been incredibly tough. And I think also with a an ecosystem like the technology ecosystem in the country, a lot of the growth of this ecosystem is going to come from new customers who are sort of moving into the space where they can take advantage of technology in the ways that Alex talked about, right? People who have a better, cheaper access to the internet, people who have access to credit cards and credit so they can make online payments. Um, people who have jobs and have enough disposable income to start uh, spending that on new products and services. And so I think that's been one of our biggest challenges is just trying to grow a business in the context of slow economic growth. Alex, do you want to weigh in there? Yes, and I was um, just uh, smiling at the beginning of Aisha's answer because um, her business partner and CTO, um, I remember going to a very early Joburg meeting and it was 7 a.m. and we were hardly awake, but Alan was there reading a book on advanced AI and this was about five years ago. And so their commitment to tech is, um, is real and always has been. Um, but yeah, I think certainly what, what we're finding is, I think as businesses scale and grow, adopting new ways of working always comes with a, with a little bit of uh, friction. I think as as human beings, we are resistant to change. We like, we are creatures of habit. Um, it's how we survive. And so I think it's always, um, there's always this kind of, uh, you know, I think, I think a lot of people are fantasizing about kind of just going back to normal. And I think the reality is there is no normal anymore. And are we trying to navigate and build this new normal? Um, and so, 
for us, it's also around how do you adapt to this new normal and how do you um, how do you really build a new way of working and 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 culture and and values and and make sure that you embed those, but without while still being inclusive as well, and also really considering um, different perspectives and and different uh, users. I think is is absolutely critical. Uh, so I think I think it's also technology is a fantastic enabler, but it, it does need some serious human thinking about how do you integrate it and make it work for you and kind of align with your purpose and, and, and your core goals. Definitely. And, and I think Alex and Aisha, you touched on two very important points around talent. And I think the talent pool in South Africa around software engineers um, and in the tech space as a whole. And Alex, you touched on, a, on another important point around new ways of working um, and, and what that's looking at. I don't know if just from a final comment perspective, um, if I could just get one or two minutes um, in closing comments from you around, are you hopeful in this very tough time post-COVID? I'm not even sure if we post-COVID yet, but are you feeling hopeful from a global as well as local perspective around what we can achieve and and do you think that technology and and businesses in itself are going to be able to kind of overcome i think what seems to many people at this time quite overwhelming odds Aisha shall we start with you sure um yeah so Davina I'm you know I think being a founder I'm an eternal optimist I think I um I don't know how to be pessimistic I think um I think just you know just just being alive is a reason to be optimistic and 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 the opportunity to envision a better world and to be part of building a better world um so yeah I am very optimistic I think I am also realistic though I'm um, particularly you know living in South Africa I'm I'm realistic about the challenges that that we face in the country I think um you know, again, the, the, the challenges around slow economic growth have an impact on businesses. They have an impact on new businesses. They have an impact on small businesses that are trying to get big. Um, corruption doesn't help at all. Um, so there are, there are things that we need to fix and, and fix quickly um, to, to sort of remain relevant and, and, and competitive um, and I mean that in the in the collaborative sense, you know, but but remain competitive with what the rest of the world is doing, and to take advantage of the benefits of technology in South Africa. Um, I think technology is a tool um, that human beings build. So um, technology isn't going to solve, and businesses by themselves aren't going to solve problems. I think, um, but where I do have an incredible amount of um, of hope and 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 faith is is in people and i think in our country we just have amazing people i think we faced far bigger challenges than the pandemic and and gotten through them um closer you know um more sort of victorious and optimistic as a country and i think that we can do that again and and i think the same goes with the rest of the world you know i think if you look at the the impacts of the pandemic and how that for example uh compares to a world war We've, you know, this is this is not the worst that the world has faced, and we have technology, you know, and the and the progress of technology as a as a really amazing tool 
to try and um, leverage as an advantage to take um, opportunities that come out of this, but to also try and make sure that our exit from the worst effects of this is as quick as possible. Batabo, final comments from you? Thanks, Davina. I think uh, I, it would be uh, remiss of me to leave uh, a panel any discussion without reiterating uh, our, our mission and, and what we really believe in. In fact, also because COVID enhanced it um, uh, even more so. So at Voice, we believe in the fair treatment of companies and customers. What actually happened is during the whole COVID pandemic, we were at the cold phrase of what every company was facing because customers were just calling you know, left, right and centre, they had issues with this, issues with that. And it was us basically um, alerting companies of, you know, this is unfair treatment of customers or also customers are trying to take advantage of this really terrible scenario that we're in. What we experience is we've seen uh, the difficulties in the in, that the travel insurance market faced. You know, before where people were very like sure about where they're going, what they're doing, when they're doing it, and pretty much travel getting travel insurance was just you know I'm just buying a ticket and I want to be insured. And then all of a sudden, to um, hearing how uh, terribly people were devastated. You know, their uh, children were stuck overseas or they couldn't go to work overseas, and they were trying to see how they would be covered. And at the same time, the companies didn't expect. They'd have to make so many payouts. And then in the other light, in the life insurance industry, what we saw is people who really believed in the products that they bought, but they just couldn't pay for them because they didn't have the income. And, um, you know, us being there, sticking to our guns to make sure that we're trying to make sure that customers are treated fairly and we're trying to make sure that uh, companies are treated fairly. The only thing that we could do is, you know, not just send our usual alert to say to a company, hey, here's an upset customer. We actually, as founders, hounded our customers, which would be the um, uh, companies. Even um, um, Matt reminded me, Investec is one of the um, call centers that we monitor to say that there's really an upset customer here. And this scenario, I know that there are thousands of customers calling you here, but this is a situation that should not end at the agent. It should not end here because uh, a lot of people are struggling and a lot of people are suffering. But at the same time, um, there was just, you know, there, there were a few stories that we felt that we could highlight and make sure that uh, it didn't end at the call center, that customers were really hurt. Well, that's great news. And Alex, just parting comments from you. Thanks, Davina. I think, uh, you know, we're all going to be optimistic because that is the nature of being an entrepreneur. Um, you always have to have a plan and keep going, regardless of if things are tough. Um, my, so I think, as I, I just said, um, the next few months and, and possibly year are going to still be very tough, especially for sectors that have been and historically so reliant on tourism or on on allowing people to have contact and bring people together. So I think there's certain industries who you know, will feel the effects of COVID for, for many months while others are recovering more quickly. I think some of the things to really remember are the, the positives that have come out of COVID and not to forget them because I think those are the really important lessons. So we've seen communities come together to make sure that no one starves or goes hungry. Um, we have seen... Uh, wonderful initiatives around community gardens and soup kitchens and uh, people really caring for their neighbours and looking out for one another and wealthy 
wealthier neighborhoods partnering with poorer neighborhoods to really support them. And I think that is something that we really need to harness. So how do we keep building a supportive social fabric in South Africa? And when we go back to work and when we get on with our lives, how do we make sure that that kind of level of care for our fellow South Africans is still there and that we're building this inclusive, we've spoken a lot about inclusivity, but how do we make sure that we, we don't leave the, the majority of South Africans behind? Well, ladies, thank you so much. And I think, you know, very much aligned to what I think Investec holds dear is, is um, it's been really wonderful, I think, to hear you echo that in your last comments around, we believe in humanity, um, even in a, in a very tech-enabled world. Um, and I think if, if there's one thing that, that you guys have echoed and has been a golden thread throughout this panel discussion is the... Um, the level of compassion and care for the broader society that I think uh, women in 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 general bring, I think, to all areas of business. And, and it's been a true pleasure, I think, um, seeing that firsthand come out in this panel. Um, I think very often um, people assume that uh, technology or world of technology um, is a world stripped away from humanity. And so Aisha, it's been, uh, it was really great to hear you say that you still believe in humanity and and Latabo hear you say around, you know, the human stories behind all of your businesses. And Alex, you speak around the, the very powerful, I think, um, help your neighbor stories that I think have come out, um, even in a world where um, where we've seen a major acceleration of technology. So thank you, ladies. It's been a real pleasure. Um, and um, I really hope that uh, that all the, uh, that our audience, I think, watching um, really kind of recognize um, the, the real inspiration and value that I think you guys bring um, to the tech ecosystem just in your own individual capacity. It's been a real pleasure and a privilege for me. Thank you so much. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendation. Investec Specialist Bank, a division of Investec Bank Limited, is a registered credit provider.